Yo, I don't think we should talk about this. Come on, why not? People might misunderstand what we're trying to say, you know? No, but that's a part of life. Hey, Nine Lives listeners. My name is Kirithi Gopal, and I'll be your host for today's episode. In honor of Sex Week at Northwestern, we went around campus asking people to talk about sex. What we found wasn't too surprising. People have a lot of stories. Before we get started, a quick warning, today's episode does have some mature content. Our first question was, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word sex? Pillow. Condom. Fun. Messy. Consent. Baby. Bang a ring. Toes. Intimacy. Our first storyteller, Jamaica Ponder, is a sophomore studying journalism and African-American studies. Her story takes place in Princeton, New Jersey, and describes an encounter that included some technical difficulties. So when I was in high school, because I'm from Princeton, New Jersey, we used to sneak into these things called eating clubs, which are essentially fraternities on Princeton University's campus. And one of these days when we were in an eating club, this guy who I'd been low-key scheming for a while was at the eating club because he was a member of the eating club and the university, of which I was neither. And we would always lie to the Princeton students and say we went to XYZ school, but we were just taking a semester off or whatever, because who's going to question that? But we were from Princeton. And so he thinks I'm some Columbia girl who's home for the semester from Princeton. And so that's why he keeps seeing me around. And he's on the wrestling team. We end up like talking or whatever. And after some night out, we go back to his place and we don't have sex, but I sleep over. And then the next morning, he's like, you're so beautiful. Like, I want to sleep with you, blah, blah, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So (laughs) we're like hooking up and then we start doing the sex thing, except for we can't have sex because his dick is literally too big. Like it's disgustingly large. And I look at it. With my 16-year-old eyes, and I'm like, oh my god, I, I've only seen, I could count the number of penises I'd seen on my hand at that point. And this one would take in three hands to even, like, wrap around. Like, it was so grossly large. And so I'm looking at this thing, and I just, like, hear my mom in my head being like, sometimes you need to persevere, Jamaica. So I'm like, I'm gonna do this. And so... We're trying to have sex, but I'm 16. My hips haven't even turned out yet. I'm like pubescent and it won't fit. He cannot get it in my body. And he's like, I don't know what's wrong. And I was like, I think like the literal physics of this are not working, but he was a physics major on the wrestling team. And so he then proceeds to stop trying to have sex with me pulls out like a tape measure or some shit, wraps it around his dick, and then is doing math on some notebook naked. I'm sitting there naked watching him do math to try and figure out how widely dilated I would need to be for him to be able to fit inside of my vagina. (laughs) And then he did the calculations and he's like, you know, actually like I just did the math. Like I don't think this is impossible. And I'm like, still sitting there naked and 16 and he's like you know I think that I'll probably need to eat you out first and then if I finger you for a little bit like it should work and it was in that moment that I decided it was time for me to go home I got dressed and as I'm leaving he goes oh 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 you know uh, in case you need these and he slides me his dick math and then I leave and this was the worst sex that I've ever had in my entire life Our second storyteller is Amos Pomp, a junior American studies major whose story begins in high school and ends in the present, as he reflects on labels, identity, and what it's like to question your sexuality. I came out as gay when I was like 13 or 14 or however old you are in freshman or sophomore year of high school. I told my parents and I told friends. Then I sort of noticed, or I notice now, like 
in high school you sort of have these tropes of like the people who come out as gay and so you've got the people who I kind of knew were gay from afar and we all just sort of stayed single and it's fine but nothing really develops from there or you've got like the ones who immediately find somebody and date for three years and go to prom together and they're like the poster gay couple of your school my school definitely had both of those and then there's the other sort of thing where it's like those single people might feel like you have to date the others who have come out whether you're actually into each other or not and so there were all those sort of expectations that I was navigating but I wasn't really doing anything I was just like thinking about it a lot and uh wondering what was going to come out of like my being gay Nothing really happened, um, but eventually in the summer going into senior year at the summer camp I worked at, there was another gay counselor, and this was sort of the scenario where it was like, oh, we're both gay, so like we might as well, or like, why wouldn't we hook up, you know? Um, a lot of counselors at this camp hook up. So my friend was like, oh, he's into you, and I was like, oh, really? Okay, I'll try. And so it was like pretty early in the summer, and we were making out, and it wasn't like the first time I'd ever kissed anyone, but it was the first time that I went any farther than that. And it didn't make me feel uncomfortable but afterward he was like oh I really like you and we should hang out more and I, I didn't really know what to think like I wasn't I, I didn't think I really liked him back in that sense I, I didn't really know what to think I, I would say like I like you back but I didn't really know if that was true or it wasn't true like I wasn't romantically attracted to him I didn't see like a future in in our relationship and I didn't know if I was just feeling inexperienced or if I actually just like wasn't into him it was intimidating the expectation is like you develop a relationship with people you're gonna date people or hook up with people and I didn't really know what to do with that so I mean camp ended <laughs> eventually senior year happened gap year happened I came to college every now and then I would have a sexual experience and like hook up with someone and I would kind of feel weird about it I was like navigating this hookup culture and sort of unsure of what I wanted out of anything at some point I heard the term aromantic it felt like a discovery and so I look it up, and if you look at the definition of aromantic, it's literally just doesn't feel romantic attraction, but is invested in platonic relationships. And that's something I've always sort of prided myself on and been really invested in is friendships and platonic relationships. And so that sort of struck a tone with me, the term aromantic. I was like, maybe dating isn't how I create emotional bonds with people. Maybe romance isn't something that I want or need out of a relationship, expect or experience even. And that's definitely something a little bit hard to realize when you might still be interested in sexual relationships with people or potentially ongoing sexual relationships with people. Uh, because how do you have that without dating, right? And so I'd sort of started in my head adding a romantic to my like gay identity and questioning even because I was like, well, how do I know in the future I won't romantically feel attracted to somebody? So I'm kind of open to my identity shifting and changing and developing. But right now I feel fairly strongly that that's just not something I'm looking for in a relationship. But then I had to reconcile that with the fact that I do have a sex drive. Like I'm not asexual. So I was like, what do I do with like these words? Like, on the sexual side of gray sexual, aromantic, um, gay, questioning, like what do I do with all that? I, I have a lot more questions about my own sexuality than I do answers, but there was a conversation that I had with a friend of mine who goes to a different school that sort of clarified things a little bit for me or made me feel okay to put all of these words on my identity. And it was about polyamory and how this friend of mine, and he's straight, 
how he fulfills different needs with relationships with different people. And that's sort of the classic defense of polyamory, right? Is it's a lot to expect one person to fulfill your every type of need. So this friend of mine has been sort of exploring with completely open lines of communication, what it looks like to have relationships with multiple people at once and fulfill different needs. And while the like polyamorous part of his experience didn't really strike a tone with me, the having different needs part did. And so that's where I was sort of able to clarify that to myself where I might be looking for a relationship with somebody, but I might not be looking for that relationship to fulfill all of the needs. I don't know if I need a romantic experience out of a relationship. I might just expect platonic friendship potentially with sexual interaction. That is something that I am definitely continuing to navigate. And maybe it starts with just talking about it a little bit more. It's kind of weird or scary or nerve-wracking to think about how somebody might react to that. Like, what do you do if your needs then don't match up with theirs? And how would that turn out? Understanding your identity and learning about sex is an ongoing process, and we started wondering where that process began. Was it at home, at school, or in the playground? How did you first learn about sex? I don't know if I can point to a singular moment where I... I I don't I, I gotta think about this. I gotta think. I was eating jello and my dad asked my brother if he was a virgin. Desperate housewives that my mom was watching. During recess in fourth grade, one of my best friends told me what sex was. Probably either school or porn. Probably porn. Uh, my dad's a gynecologist. Maybe that. My friend Alex talked to me and he was like, do you know what sex is? And I was like, no, no, what, like, what do you mean? It's the way people make babies. And I was like, oh. But the way that he described it was people roll around in a bed and then like they wrestle a little bit. The last thing he said was, and then the man gets up and he pees in the woman. I mean, they showed us like that duck video. It's like adults, they're all nude. Like, it's some San Francisco cult type of thing. One of the lines was like, You may be asking, if sex feels this good, why don't adults just do it everywhere all the time? They said, because you get tired and you can't do it in public. I don't know. Our last storyteller is Amy Prohaska, a sophomore studying theater. For Amy, learning about sex was a process of discovery that started with herself. A couple weeks ago, I was having a conversation with my boyfriend about the evolution of sex centered around female pleasure and just sort of how that possibly could have evolved as a practice. Um, I was sort of hypothesizing about how much of the Earth's population is ancestors of non-consensual sexual encounters, which is terrifying to think about, and just how society in general, which has been so patriarchal for so long, has probably stunted female pleasure as an evolutionary practice. I mean, even today, so few women know about it. And I sort of learned about my own female pleasure, which for me is clitoral stimulation, in like sixth grade. There was one night where I really had to pee and I was too lazy to get up, so I just started squirming around in bed and then it started feeling good, so I just kind of kept on moving and then slowly got more creative with my practice, using my hands, and then, you know, into seventh grade, started getting more creative with like mini hand massagers and slowly and slowly discovered what an orgasm was. And I thought I had invented it. So that was pretty lit. (laughs) And when I got to like eighth grade, all the boys in my class were talking about porn. And so there was one night where I think I tried to watch some porn and realized that I hadn't invented 
clitoral stimulation, which was so disappointing for me. I thought I had really hit the big time, but watching porn was crazy. And I then started realizing that this is what all the boys in my class were watching, and this is what they thought sex was. And that was sort of really hard to think about, especially thinking about the fact that they were starting watching this in eighth grade. So they were going to watch it for God knows how long. And they were just going to pick up this model of like weird, aggressive sex that didn't have any talking. And it was only with women with big boobs. And porn is more inclusive than that. But through an eighth grade lens, that was all I saw. And so I had a masturbation practice all through high school and into college and started really feeling comfortable with my pleasure. Um, And when I got to college, it was crazy to hear that a lot of my female friends who were smart, powerful, empowered, amazing women had never had an orgasm and didn't know how. And I sort of started to realize that my first sexual experience had been with myself. And I don't know how many female-bodied people that's true for. I feel like for a lot of us, it's with someone else. Someone else is doing something to us. And we don't actually start exploring what pleasure is for ourselves until a lot later. So this one night, uh, there were three of us in a room drinking vodka and vitamin water. (laughs) And the room sort of fell quiet after I had made some comment about masturbation. And one of the people in the room sort of picked the conversation back up by just asking how I did it. And I sort of started to talk about it. And it was weird. squirmy and awesome and they both really listened and asked their questions and I'm glad that it had been such a safe space so we were all clutching pillows pretty tightly and we went away for winter break and I was so happy when I came back for winter quarter and got updates from them about how their masturbation was going and how they were feeling and how their pleasure was but even now I'm a shape member and another shape member messaged me on Facebook the other day and was saying hey since you're the new events chair can you do a whole event on what female orgasming is and Now I'm thinking about it in terms of if women don't know what feels good to them, how can they ask for what feels good? When they're in sexual encounters that aren't just them, how do they have a satisfying sexual experience when they don't even know how to satisfy themselves? And how can their partners pick up the pieces? I'm lucky enough to be with someone who really honors my pleasure and works with me in a really collaborative way to make sure that every time we have sex, it is finished by both of us orgasming. And I don't know how true that is, especially for heterosexual relationships, how you define what the end of sex is. Because sometimes it's just the male person finishing. And that's not fair. And when we're trying to sort of restructure what our model of consent is, it's important to know what feels good so you can ask for what feels good or just perform what feels good on yourself while another person is there. So I'm hoping that we're moving into a new era where the female orgasm has a place in our dialogue about sex because for so long it hasn't and I think it's sort of the next step in getting ourselves to a really healthy holistic model of consent. Thank you to all of our storytellers for their honesty and bravery and to everyone else who contributed to the episode. If you enjoyed today's show be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at nine lives podcast and shoot us a message if you've got a story of your own that you'd like to tell. Remember all cats have nine lives. Share one of yours.